visit us at facebook.com slash securefreedom with Frank Gaffney. Welcome back and a very special welcome to another of our favorite guests uh, with whom we have not been in as close touch as I would like. Unfortunately, his name is Robert Charles. He is a former, among other things, Assistant Secretary of State in the George W. Bush administration. He also served in a council position at the White House under Ronald Reagan and George H. W. Bush. He has been, among other things, a naval intelligence officer. He is an author of Eagles and Evergreens and a prolific contributor to the public policy debate, both in his appearances in the media, including this show, but Fox News and elsewhere. And, of course, as a spokesman for a terrific organization, the Association for Mature American Citizens, AMAC. You can find its products and him at amac.org. U.S. Bobby Charles, it is great to have you with us. Welcome back to Secure Freedom Radio. Frank, it is a pleasure to be with you in, uh, in, in, in highly important times. It is, and they're better chronicled because of your efforts, my friend. I want to talk with you about, in fact, some of the things you've been writing on and uh, commenting about, uh, starting, I think, with Cuba. We are witnessing a potentially momentous development there. Uh, I just can't tell you how impressed I am by the courage of the, well, thousands of people now who have taken to the streets in the face of, uh, well, explicit direction by the new president, the first non-Castro to run the country in decades, to essentially use violence against them. And uh, the police and others seem to be doing just that. Uh, Talk a little bit about what's going on, Bobby, and the stakes and what we should be doing about it. Well, thank you, Frank. And I I have to tell you, to me, it's a very significant event. And I I think it it will prove to have been and and may, may become the vanguard of, uh, of other significant events. Uh, why? Because on the one hand, it represents enormous hope. It, 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 it illustrates that when you suppress people, and I always have these, these, these discussions uh, with those that say, you know, why are you so optimistic that freedom will always bubble back to the top? And the answer is, I believe these are natural law rights. These are things people will not stay without for an indefinite period of time if they, basically there will always eventually be a revolution if you take away their right to speak and worship and you keep them captive and you put them down and you take away their livelihood. But the question always comes back to me, is it going to be a hundred years or is it going to be five years or a year? I don't know the answer to that question, but what I see in Cuba is tremendous hope because what they're doing is vindicating and validating the basic idea that we as human beings deserve and we will fight for and we must have at the end of the day basic individual liberty. The the bigger piece of this is that it completely um, delegitimizes this entire discussion of socialism and communism in the United States, which is why people like Bernie Sanders and others don't have much to say. Because, of course, when you repress people, when you take away their basic liberties, at some point they say, I have had enough. And that's what they're saying. And the third big implication, I think, is that the entire world is watching this. Uh, and and if, if this becomes 1989 uh, and Eastern Europe and, and we end up finally with some you know, God willing, some kind of a new and free Cuba, then God bless the movement and the courage that it took to do it. If it ends up being Tiananmen and it's crushed, uh, then the entire world nevertheless sees again what communism is about. And I have to say that given the demographics in China right now, given the fact that their one-child policy ultimately produced an overabundance of young men because they killed all the young girls in the form of, of abortions, uh, there is a strange demographic. Their economy is not going to grow as fast as it is. There are provinces 
that if the news got in, that if you can revolt, you can turn the tide. I think China's got to be looking over one shoulder at Cuba and saying, you know, uh, it's a small country and we'll just, you know, we'll, we'll kind of uh, poo-poo the, the movement. But if, if that flips, ultimately it shows that the illegitimacy, or as Ronald Re- well, I think Ronald Reagan would have said, illegitimacy, the illegitimacy of the communist uh, movement and therefore of China's government. Not just the illegitimacy, the evilness, I think he would have uh, spoken of very forcefully, don't you? And, you know, this contrasts really sharply with uh, the sort of grudging and not terribly powerful denunciation of all of this by the Biden team. And this leads me to my next concern, uh, which I don't know that you've commented on yet, but I was just speaking with Todd Benzman about uh, immigration, well, the invasion that is taking place in our country and the prospect that if Peru, another very important country in Latin America, goes communist, which is impending at the moment, that there will be an upsurge almost certainly of people fleeing that, I think, remarkable place. Uh, and many of them will be heading here. And I don't know if you've, uh, as I say, focused yet on this, Bobby, but I would really commend to you with your experience with uh, countries throughout that region, especially um, to, to help sound the alarm about why it is really vital to America's interests, uh, as well as those of the region more generally, that we not lose another important nation to Marxism. And at the uh, at the hands of people who have done there what they've it seems to me done here of late, namely engaging in electoral fraud uh, to manipulate a forty thousand vote margin for a change that will, I'm afraid, do incalculable harm both to that country, as I say, and and a lot of others besides. Your thoughts? Yes. Yeah, so let me let me start big and go small. Look, we, we live in the digital age, and the digital age comes with great advantages and great liabilities. And one of the great liabilities is the manipulation of the electoral process, which is why, of course, S1 and S4 and all these other bills that, that the Democrats are pushing, which would open the door to fraud, are, are such a worry here. It's not just a worry here, though. It's a worry all over or all over the world, and uh, certainly in all three countries, because those that uh, would bend the rules to uh, violate individual rights have no compunction about bending the rules in order to violate an electoral process. I love Peru. I love this region, actually. I have spent endless uh, weeks in, in Peru at different times, as well as in Colombia and Bolivia. Absolutely. And I it, it, it turns my stomach to think that a country that was, uh, before he had corruption issues, that was really stabilized by uh, Fujimori. I met with him. I spent time with his people. I spent time uh, helping them think about rule of law and how you seed it. The same thing, by the way, uh, with General Banzer before Bolivia went uh, went left with uh, with Eva Morales. And, and I am very worried about probably our greatest ally on that continent. Uh, obviously, Brazil is important. Argentina is important. Chile is important. But Colombia is a tremendously important important ally of ours, and I'm worried about uh, their future. And uh, so, you know, to to go one step further, you know, we can be philosophical about it, but in a very practical sense, uh, what a Ronald Reagan or a George Herbert Walker Bush or a George W. Bush or, or even any president, probably most presidents of the last half century would be doing right now is doing just what you're talking about, sounding the alarm and saying, we cannot tolerate the oppression, the the overt oppression of individual liberties by uh, a country that has makes pretenses to free elections and turns around uh, and violates the, the sanctity and 
and the sovereignty of the individual vote uh, of every one of their citizens. And, you know, the problem is this this administration has dirty hands. I think that's part of the issue. And unfortunately, I'm afraid that they probably are not all that uncomfortable with having a Marxist takeover in Peru, uh, which brings me to the larger point, which you've addressed in an important piece at AMAC.us about this administration's national security policy broadly defined. And I just would ask you to share with our audience, you know, what you see is happening at its hands in terms of our national security interests um, and, and what the consequences are likely to be if we persist in the sorts of trajectory that they've got us on. Well, the... Uh the Biden administration is a funnel cloud headed for our house. Um, it, it's uh, it's a tornadic mistake, uh, and I don't even know where to begin. But let's start with China, uh, as uh, as you know. Um, well, let's start with Afghanistan. Wrongheaded to eliminate the tripwire that ultimately is sort of a finger in the dike. It's much easier to keep a finger in the dike than it is to let the dike break and have to go back. Uh, the Taliban, of course, were there when uh, 9/11 happened here. Uh, they are a source, as for example, Iran is, of enormous instability in the world if you let things go. I am concerned that as a power projection base, Afghanistan, controlled by terrorists, uh, would be, uh, will be again a major problem for us. My view is that it was so wrong-headed to pull out full full force without making the appropriate. Uh, Trump was on course for a a peace accord. It would have been delicate. It was difficult, but at the same time. Uh, if they had gotten a peace accord in place with enforcement mechanisms, uh, they would never be in the position they're in now, uh, which is which is basically they abandoned the peace uh, effort and decided that you know no conditions they were just going to pull. Well, there's a whole bunch of sequences. Dominoes fall because com- countries are related to one another. So the first domino that falls is as we get out of Afghanistan, China is going straight in for the resources. They have about three trillion dollars worth of minerals, including. 17 rare earths that China wants. And so they're going straight in. They're already negotiating right now, right this very minute. They're negotiating with the Taliban. They also want to set up a highway uh, between uh, Peshawar and Pakistan and Kabul. China wants to go in and dominate uh, and then and then uh, essentially, sure, let them let them war outside the zone where they're doing their extraction. They have a, they share a border with Afghanistan. But it's much bigger than that. What they did is they then Biden said, well, we'll stabilize the country by pulling a, a carrier battle group into the into the Gulf and we'll stick it off the country and that'll stabilize it indefinitely. We don't stabilize countries with a carrier battle group. That We don't do that. It doesn't work. And we've never done that. And why not, Bobby? Do, just, just remind us well, what the practical carrier, consequences of trying to do that are. Right. So you, you have to have you have to have a tripwire on the ground because that's your connection to the people. The notion that you are going to put a few fighters off the shore for a month or two, and that will cause the Taliban not to flip the government. They've got a long-range operation here. Their their aim is to control that country. Their aim is to throw away all of the good effort we put in, uh, and to and to take the uh, Ghani government and just flip it. It'll be gone. And and the carrier battle group can't do anything about about that. And besides which, it's a very temporary temporary. Even if you you say, well, I'm just doing it for the. I mean, I don't know why you just do it for the withdrawal. But if you did it just for the withdrawal. Uh, it's, it's a temporary move. But there, there are ripple, ripple effects to this, Frank. One is that they just took the Ronald Reagan, the USS Ronald Reagan, which is our Japan-based 
uh, carrier battle group, and they pulled it out of the Western Pacific. For the first time since 2003, the Western Pacific is naked. So what does that mean? That means that you can predict, since that carrier battle group was what was warning China not to put fighters on their artificial islands, not to harass Taiwan, not to try to go after the Sakhalin Islands, not to try to chase other ships out of that region, uh, you can guess that's what they're going to do. And guess what they, they did yesterday? After we pulled that carrier battle group and it went... Uh, it shifted fleets on January 25th. Yesterday, China chased an American destroyer out of the South China Sea. Well, you, you got to see there are ripple effects to all this. And then once you see China getting excited about doing that, you can you can also predict they're going to move into the digital world. You can also predict that Russia is going to now think that maybe it's their shot at Ukraine. You're going to see that they're going to they're going to probably look at further cyber attacks. You know what you have to do with national security is create deterrence. It's just like law enforcement. If you, we don't have enough police officers to chase down every criminal. Uh, if if they all, you know, decided to commit crimes at once, we wouldn't have the manpower. So what do we do? We deter it. We need about 25% deterrence in a in an area to create real deterrence and cause people to worry they're going to get caught or turned around. Same thing is true in national security. You have to create deterrence. America should not be an appeaser. And, uh, and unfortunately, the Biden administration's M.O. is the exact opposite of Ronald Reagan's. Rather than deter, they are unfortunately advancing. Yes. And what we're watching playing out, whether it's, as we talked about earlier in the program with Peter Husey, in the nuclear arena, or whether it is their aggressiveness in the South Pacific, uh, the East Asian landmass uh, uh, literal waters, or indeed now worldwide with their Belt and Road Initiative, um, is uh, an emboldened communist China. And that is a very dangerous thing for all of us, I'm afraid. Um, speaking of um, you know trying to deter crime, uh, Bobby, you've also written at amac.us about um, some of your insights, having worked in the law enforcement space, particularly when you were at the State Department, uh, about the insanity of reducing our police and their capabilities and their morale with indifference to the fact that inevitably that is going to translate into more crime and more crime particularly uh, inflicted on the very people that supposedly uh, this is all being done on behalf of uh, this defunding the police so as to prevent, uh, you know, anti-black or anti-brown uh, racist behavior by the cops. Help us sort this, would you? It's just mind-boggling that uh, we're surprised at what's happening now. Absolutely. So we do have, I do have a couple of written pieces on this that give you more data city by city. But let me give you second, third, and fourth order uh, effects of what's gone on here. Nationwide, starting June 2nd of last year, there began this movement to defund police driven exclusively. Exclusively, uh, despite what you hear from the White House, driven exclusively by Democrat mayors, governors, and members of Congress. And of course, the allegation was that if you didn't defund the police, you were somehow racist. Well, several second order effects have grown out of that. The first is that crime has spiked all over the United States. There is not a city that has reduced their police budget that has not experienced, if not record, dramatic increases in crime, particularly homicides uh, and crime against against persons. So I won't go through all the cities, but there are literally 200 cities that have been affected, and some of them have just been radically affected. I mean, up to an 800 percent increase uh, in the in the homicide rate. Why? 
because one of the second order effects, again, is that police officers who were seniors said, if you don't appreciate what we're doing, we're retiring. We're not going to face liability. We're not going to be we're, we know that we do a good job every day selflessly. Most of the people know that. But if the leaders in places like New York and Seattle and I could name dozens of cities decide that we're not worth it, then we're going to retire early, take our pension and go home. Meantime, and I've talked extensively to police officers about this. Meantime, the academies are going unfilled. The recruitment effort is extremely hard. And ultimately, when you do get police officers, someone that will stand up and be one, sometimes you're going to get the wrong motivations instead of the right motivations. It's not about authority. It's about helping people. And that's what that's what 98, 99 percent of police officers do. But there's a, there's also third order effects. And that is one of those is that as the crime rate rises because there is police defunding, the overall number of legal firearms being purchased in particular by black and Hispanic families and especially by women uh, is, is skyrocketing. And that's why right now there is a shortage of both ammunition and there's a shortage of the firearms is because there's a tremendous upsurge in buying um, in addition to the supply chain issues. But there, there is a huge upsurge in buying. And so what's the fourth order? Effect. The fourth order effect is that Americans are waking up, and I have a piece up on AMAC today, uh, AMAC.us, called America Rising. And and the whole point of it is that people are not stupid. Uh, you, you can hit me once, hit me twice, you hit me the third time, I'm going to hit you back. Okay. And and here's what happens: Americans are saying the Democrats have betrayed us. They have completely betrayed us, and that's going to show up in 2022 and 2024, uh, as long as we keep our electoral process uh, sane, rational, and legal. Uh, there, the people are just outraged because that's why they're fleeing the cities. That's why you see real estate in rural America going sky high and you see people literally physically selling uh, at fire sale prices to get out of these cities. So ultimately, people are going to react to that. And I think you could see a realignment even on this issue that the law enforcement rule of law and border issues by themselves could realign uh, the, the blue collar Democrat Party as well as parts of the suburban uh, Democrat Party the way that Ronald Reagan re- aligned the Democratic Party into, in uh, 1984. We will see from your lips to God's ears. Robert Charles, thank you for your time today, my friend. It's always good to visit with you and appreciate so much your perspective and clarity on all of these issues. Come back to us again soon, if you would. I hope the rest of you will come back to us again tomorrow. Same time, same station. Until then, this is Frank Gaffney. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Secure Freedom Radio with Frank Gaffney. This is Frank Gaffney with a word about a truly great American patriot in urgent need. Rich Higgins served in the U.S. Army and as a key civilian Pentagon official and senior strategist on President Trump's National Security Council. After he left the NSC, Rich continued advising Mr. Trump and others about the threats we are facing from enemies, foreign and domestic. He chronicled his experiences over the past 20 years fighting for America First in a terrific memoir entitled The Memo. Now this courageous freedom fighter is gravely ill due to severe complications caused by the Chinese Communist Party virus. He urgently needs help to defray the enormous costs of successive surgeries and a prospective organ transplant. I urge you to join me in contributing to a GoFundMe campaign named Medical Help for Rich Higgins. That's Medical Help for Rich Higgins at GoFundMe.com. God bless you and Rich Higgins.